This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Less than three weeks out from the Alberta election, people are asking, does the Premier control the Premier or does somebody else control the Premier? Now, of course, this sounds a little bit conspiratorial, but there's the head of a group called Take Back Alberta that that everybody's been buzzing about to varying degrees, although I have seen some folks suggest that the media is not doing enough uh, expose-wise, storytelling-wise, to reveal exactly who this group is that's starting to take control of constituency associations, that's essentially taken control of the United Conservative Party's board, and that is claiming it has control of the Premier's office. We're going to get into that today. Plus, are the knives already out for Danielle Smith within her own party? In other words, even if she wins the election, could she be gone as leader of the UCP before she knows it? Our leadoff guest this morning, Graham Thompson, in just a second on that, he's covering that, and this will be part of our ongoing election conversations. A little later on in this episode, we're going to find out what Alberta's tech sector is looking for this election. A nonpartisan group, Canadian Innovators, is putting out the call for all parties to reflect an awareness and an understanding of what's necessary to see Alberta's tech startups and the existing companies that are already doing business thrive and really achieve their full potential. It's part of our promise to cover this election from as many angles as is possible, and we appreciate you joining us here on Real Talk for that. Today's episode is presented by Rello, and we want to direct your attention to Rello.ca. That's where you can find out more about a career in real estate. Have you been thinking about making the move? I mean, who hasn't these days, right? If you want to find out about becoming a real estate agent, take a second today to visit Rello.ca. That's R-E-L-O dot C-A. Why Rello? Well, it offers better real estate training, professional expert webinars, entertaining podcasts, and excellent customer service. Rello's content is targeted so that you can meet exam criteria in the quickest amount of time. Obviously, that's a priority for so many of you. Rello will help you learn anytime, any place, at your own pace. There's no better time to start your real estate career, and there's no better place to do it. Check out Rello.ca. Graham Thompson has been covering Alberta politics for the better part of his career. Uh, formerly a political columnist with the Edmonton Journal, you'll now find his writing all over the place, including Alberta Views Magazine, the CBC, and elsewhere. Kind enough to join us uh, this morning, Graham, to get into a piece that you've just written for The Star, wondering if the knives are already out for Danielle Smith in her party. What's putting this on your radar? Is this one of those stories you just can't ignore? <laughs> People are talking. See, the thing is, I began looking at this through a lens that's happened in previous uh, elections where you have an unpopular leader of the governing party. Like You look back at Don Getty, Ed Stelmack, even Klein in his final election, uh, not particularly popular. So the campaign was sort of saying behind the scenes, also on the doorstep, hey, look, just stick with the party. Stick with the conservative party, please. You might have problems with the leader. We understand that. 
but please stick with the, the party. And that's been very effective and because we're hearing about this now, especially in Calgary. This is the message going out. You know, you may not like Smith, but please stick with the UCP. But I began hearing something which is unprecedented, and that is this idea that please uh, uh, vote for the UCP because she won't last long. She's going to be forced out. And I've never heard that before. In some cases, I one one source, one person I've known really well for years at a business or a, uh, event at a table with a cabinet minister who said to people at the table, look, look, stop worrying about Smith. She's not going to be there for much longer. That is where this comes from. I, I was The thing is, what's actually happening here right now, and I've heard this from multiple sources. I also had one uh, coffee yesterday with a person who's been involved in Alberta politics, deeply involved in Alberta politics uh, for 40 years. And... <clears throat> He was saying, yes, the conventional wisdom is uh, UC supporters, UCP supporters have a choice. Um, either they hold her, who don't like Smith, that is, they either hold their nose and vote for her or they stay home. There's a third option that's appearing more appetizing to these reluctant UCP supporters, and that is voting for the NDP. It's unthinkable uh, in their minds in the past, but they're thinking of that. So you got all this pressure right now in the UCP who realize how controversial she is who realized that um you know the polls are showing sort of a heat a dead heat province wide between the two um, the two parties but notley appears to be much more at the poll just last week saying that people tend to trust her more look at notley as a better leader and that's driving this this um it's not a movement but this driving this feeling inside the party that uh yes if she wins a, a a small majority, they're going to force her out. And it's going to happen pretty soon. And people are saying, well, look, you can't do that for another two years, the leadership uh, review. Yeah, but, you know, if you think back leadership reviews, um, uh, uh, Alison Redford yeah. and uh, Ed Stalmack both got 77% review, yeah, thumbs up for them, and they were both gone. Um, not long afterwards, it took a year for uh, Stalmack to be kicked out and only four months for uh, Redford to be kicked out. So the difference is, that sort of movement against the leader seems to be happening during the election campaign as opposed to waiting until after the election. Hey, Graham, I know that you know some people read your columns because you can, you, you've, you've got the insiders, you've got the sources, people know that you can get into the nitty gritty and, and help them understand some of the more nuanced discussions. And, and then some people are, are going to read your work because, well, quite frankly, they don't pay too close of attention, uh, but they trust you to give them the, the need to know so to speak. So for that part of your audience and ours, the people that are going, hang on a second, she just won the leadership like six months ago. Like people are, what on earth happened? What happened from maybe what may have been described at the time as an, an unlikely <coughs> win over the finance minister, Travis Taves, depending on who you talk to, but uh, convincing win, at least momentum in the right direction, a lot of optimism around a Daniel Smith led party. And, and now talk of not just maybe losing an election, but maybe barely winning it and having the own party turn on her. Like I know politics happens fast, but what were the key moments do you think, or what are the key issues at play here? What changed so many people's minds? Well, the thing is, did that really change their minds? Cause she won that leadership race, not with, you know, with, 2.8 million Albertans being involved in the the uh, the vote. It was only you know the thing is she won. It's a matter of you know a few thousand, tens of thousands of uh, members of the UCP who joined that um, 
uh, either joined the UCP or already in the UCP to kick out uh, Jason Kenney. So she won uh, 54% to 46%. First of all, you see the party's really divided about her. And her campaign was very divisive. She pandered to her followers, you know, who were thinking that the pandemic was a, basically a hoax of some kind or a conspiracy to uh, step on their freedoms, who really do believe that the federal government's out to destroy Alberta's economy. So she played to that base. And that does not represent Albertans. It doesn't even represent uh, most moderate conservatives in Alberta. So she won that race um, in one tactic or strategy the problem is that strategy does not work in a general election because she's trying to reach out to moderate uh, albertans so yeah so she wins the leadership race and then she's very divisive and things don't really improve for her yes they they are getting better for the ucp because kenny is gone but and you could argue and some have argued in the party that, that they're amazed they're doing so well compared to um notley because of Smith is still so controversial. But having said that, she doesn't speak, she's trying to speak to moderate mainstream Albertans, mainstream conservatives, and that doesn't seem to be working particularly well. So she won the election with a campaign and a strategy and a persona that does not work during an election campaign. People in the party understand that, the moderates really understand that, and so they're thinking, that either she will bring us to defeat or we'll win out we'll win a, a squeaker of a majority and right now you need 44 seats for majority and they're looking at her getting 46 47 48 and they think that's going to cause problems the party could blow itself up and even it's not just the moderates who are angry with her or wondering what's going to happen with her uh, you mentioned take back alberta i won't get into that in great detail but i talked to david parker the person in charge of take back alberta a few weeks ago and he said bluntly, I've quoted him in columns, he said, look, if Smith doesn't do what she promised us she would do, there'll be a grassroots movement to force her out. So there's pressure building. Uh, and I think that that itself, that that signal from a right-wing leader group like Take Back Alberta is also worrying the moderates in the party thinking, yeah, Take Back Alberta really wants to control Smith and make her do the things she was promising in the leadership race well and not not just wants to control the premier graham they claim they do control the premier i mean for people that aren't familiar necessarily with with who david parker is or what take back alberta is all about i want to credit global edmonton here for this video uh this reporting by their legislative correspondent i mean here, here are just snippets of a video of david parker uh, addressing an audience just a short time ago, talking about an anti-humanist movement, talking about basically what he believes the woman's role should be in a home. I mean, here he is in his own words. We are living in an anti-human society that literally teaches our children that they are a disease on this planet. Their careers are more important. More important than the continuation of the human race. We are being taught an ideology of anti-humanism. This is not a war between conservatives and progressives. This is a war between the pro-humans and the anti-humans. Okay, so it's, you know, obviously hard on the sleeve type stuff. The guy's got some pretty regressive views, obviously extremely socially conservative. And this is the group that claims it controls the premier. Danielle Smith, you know this, Graham, was asked yesterday about it. If I'm Danielle Smith... I look right into the camera and I say, nobody controls the premier, but the premier. 
but she didn't say that. Right. She said she said we're a one party, one vote system. Mm-hmm. We don't tell our members what to believe about anything. People can have a whole bunch of different beliefs on different things. Unlike the NDP, she's trying to get out of this. But I mean, it seems to be obfuscated a little bit, a little murky, a little cloudy regarding the depth of influence that this group has as high up as the premier's office. Yeah. And this goes back to the leadership race last year when she was pandering to groups, well, to people who support Take Back Alberta. And she's sort of trapped. She doesn't want to be seen as rejecting them because, again, as I mentioned, uh, Parker's been very upfront saying, look, if she doesn't do what she says she's going to do, if, if she's changed from the person we liked as the UCP uh, leadership candidate, uh, there'll be aggressive movement. We're going we're to force her out. And they are very effective. And these are the kind of people who actually help force out uh, Jason Kenney. And it's interesting, yes, you know, her, her statement's not going as far as they should, Reminds me of what happened back in 2012 when she was Wild Rose leader and you had a couple of candidates uh, in the Wild Rose. In the, the last half of the campaign, um, you know, uh, word came that, and it was very true, that uh, one candidate had made homophobic comments and another candidate had made basically racist comments. And that we thought, okay, she's going to have to kick them out. And she didn't. She said, yeah, these are regrettable um, you know, um, comments from the past, but we can move ahead from that. And that helped sink her campaign. Because she refused or either didn't want to or couldn't get rid of these uh, really um, extreme views from her supporters and people inside the tent. Now, Take Back Alberta is, it keeps denying I'm not, we're not I'm a political partisan uh, uh, party, but yes, they really have glommed on to the UCP. Um, there was an election for uh, board members provincially last fall, and of 18 members, nine they're up for grabs, all went to people who support Take Back Alberta. So, yes, she she has a problem trying to distance herself from some of these people, as she's shown in the past. That's a problem for her. Like she thinks that she is playing to a base, a wider base, than is, I think, what is reality. And that hurt her in 2012. Heck, it devastated her campaign in 2012. This kind of thing could happen again. Now, having said that, people I've talked to in the party you know, who don't really like her, um, some do like her, uh, they're thinking that, as they put it, the craziness is baked in, that Albertans you know, just are getting used to all these revelations about who she is, either it's a new comment or something uh, brought in from the last couple of years, and they're thinking, look, Albertans realize there's some craziness there, they're still going to stick with the party and even uh, support her. I'm not sure if that's actually true, because, you know, things, Alberta is changing. And the battleground is Calgary. And even though uh, we're seeing polls going back and forward in Calgary, I think that there's enough fear uh, inside uh, campaigns in Calgary that she could actually sink the party. And that is why there's that talk right now to people saying, look, don't worry about Smith. She's not going to last long. That's such a weird thing to be saying at the doors. That's such a weird uh, position yeah. to be taking three weeks out from an election. Like, have you ever seen, Graham, you, you, you've been writing about politics for like 30 years. Like, have, have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, this is a bizarre story for us to even be talking about. I know, <laughs> you're right. Um, you look at the, all the comments, even this week, it's about, you know, uh, Smith from 2021 uh, comparing uh, Albertans who got the vaccine to the followers of Hitler. And, um, and of course, she eventually got a, a vaccine. That Smith got a vaccine. She went to the U.S. 
She didn't. She did not like the mRNA vaccines in uh, available in Canada. She went down for the Johnson and Johnson shot. So I think if that led to this sort of unreal um, question and answer during a news conference uh, on Monday, where a reporter said to her, "Look, you got the vaccine. Do you consider yourself a follower of Hitler?" And that's. I mean, I think she shouldn't get upset with the question. You can see she very calmly answered. She wasn't very happy, though, of course, saying, "Wait, no, no. Um, I'm a. I've been a friend to the Jewish community always." And you have, it's a remarkable exchange to have to have a premier say that you know, she supports the Jewish community and is not a follower of Hitler. But that's because of the comments she has made in the past. And those comments, people say, "Well, you know, out of context." No, you could watch that video. It's pretty much in context, but also. When it comes to her anti-vaccine, anti-mandate uh, 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 persona uh, during the, the leadership race last year, that's very real. Her very first day as premier, as we know, she said that the people who have faced the most discrimination in Alberta are those who were willfully unvaccinated. And she promised to change the Human Rights Act to reflect that, to give them protection. Of course, she didn't move ahead with the um, changing the Human Rights Act because it's so unpopular. And, she, and I've got people inside the room saying, yeah, they pushed back saying, you know, Premier, you can't do this. If you if you change the Human Rights Act to protect the unvaccinated, that's going to be a huge blowback. So she's sort of learning that her comments, you know, that helped her win or made her the, the, the Premier basically last year are not popular with most people. And as for this, not this never happening again, you're right. As I say, I've been covering campaigns where you go back to the days of Don Getty, for example, not particularly popular. 1989 campaign. He actually lost his seat in Edmonton, White Mud, and had to run in a by-election. But even back then, they were saying, "Look, you might have a problem with Getty, but please stick with the Conservative Party." And that has morphed now into people actually talking about not just stick with the party. Don't worry, the person you don't like is not going to last very long. And one, per I've talked to several people. One actually on the campaign who's knocked in a lot of doors in Calgary. And uh, he was saying, yeah, the number one issue uh, on the doorstep is Smith and not in a good way. And another and both of these people, I've talked to one yesterday and one just a few weeks ago. And these are people who are really well connected, who have seen the inside polls. And they're saying that, um, yeah, she might win at most 48 seats, 46, 47, 48 seats. But they're saying the NDP could also win 46, 47, 48 seats. No one's going to get 50 seats or more. And if Smith wins with 47, 48, you know, and that's maybe likely, that doesn't save her. Yeah. And let, the question is going to be, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, let's be clear, though. Conservatives would be pretty disappointed. They'd be pretty pissed yes. off with 48 <clears throat> seats. The NDP would be elated with 48 mm -hmm. seats. Absolutely. The NDP would be dancing in the streets, and I said in my column, the UCP would be dancing on her political grave because, look, last election, the UCP won 63 seats. The NDP got 24. Mm -hmm. If the NDP got 45, 46, yeah, they've won the election, uh, they'd be happy. And if the UCP drops from 63 down to 46, for example, there's still a majority. Um, they will not be happy. Now, one argument is that, well, people then who would win would be people outside the big cities. They're very loyal to her. They like what she's been saying. The thing is, um, she'd be under a lot of pressure. There'd be basically a civil war. I bet that party would be in a civil war. The, the party could blow up um, because of the party sort of becoming sort of... But then what? to say rural. But, well, rural versus uh, 
urban, but it's going to be a split party between the more progressive elements in the party and the um, more conservative, much more conservative. Yeah, but, you know, you used to like when and I don't mean you, Graham Thompson, I mean, like you, the collective we, you know, every person used to. When you're talking about Alberta politics, you used to sort of say, like, you know, where are the progressive conservatives going to go? Where are the conservative, you know, the progressives within the conservative family? And you'd be talking about the conservatives that would, you know, be, be, be business owners and they would believe that that government should be as business friendly as possible. But at the same time, they'd be cool, of course, with, uh, you know, uh, equal marriage rights, you know, uh, gay and lesbian families. They'd be totally cool with that. They'd be pretty cool or open-minded at least to talk about decriminalizing cannabis and stuff like that. These are like more progressive. They'd want to make sure that the arts sector saw proper funding. They, they want to make sure that post-secondaries are funded to a healthy level and they'd be okay with some of those tenured professors talking about things that are way out in left field. Now, when you're talking about progressives in the conservative party in Alberta, where are the progressives going to go? You're talking about people that believe science, Graham. You're talking about people mm-hmm. that believe in modern medicine. You're, t- you're talking about people that believe in things like democracy. You know, th- this this is a very different turn. And then you go, okay, well, this, if this is like the, the faction, and instead of progressive, I'm going to call them reasonable or maybe moderate uh, conservatives. Where are they going to go? I mean, if this party blows up and if a lot of the influence is with these, these extreme right social conservative lobby groups, then where the hell are hundreds of thousands of people going to go? I don't believe for a second they're all going to go to the NDP, and I doubt you do either. Yeah, and this is the thing. So the party is saying to them, please, you know, hold your nose and vote for the party. We'll sort things out later. Um, so, yeah, so you have a choice, basically, or stay home. Now, staying home can have a huge impact. 2004, um, 210,000 people who had voted for the Conservatives in 2001, voted for, for Klein, stayed home. And uh, Klein lost 12 seats because of that. You know, he still won the election. But, you know, people can stay home in an election this close. If you have a, a thousands of UCP supporters or normally UCP supporters uh, staying home, that's going to tilt the balance in favor of the NDP. But you're right. They're not, not going to run to the NDP. Many of them may stay home. Uh, there'll be, of course, a push that we've talked about to have them hold their nose and vote for the party. But the thing is, uh, the one I person really involved in politics for the last 40 years said there's still there's this thought now going through the heads of these um, progressive moderate conservative the Lougheed conservatives as they think of themselves uh, voting NDP I'm not saying it's going to be a landslide to the NDP but it has people thinking and Notley um, re- and you can tell that she's thinking the same thing because she had a news conference last week just to appeal to you know these um, Lougheed conservatives, conservatives sitting on the fence who have never voted NDP in their lives saying, look, you know, I'm going to promise you basically, you know, boring but competent government, no more drama. I'll freeze your um, your income tax rates, no higher uh, taxes. I'm going to balance the budget. I'm going to create jobs. So she is appealing to those progressive conservatives who are in a bit of a quandary right now. So that is what could affect the election, especially in Calgary. We're not talking about a big landslide jumping to the NDP. It's either people staying home, enough of them voting for the NDP in some key writings is going to help the NDP. Uh, Of course, countering that, the UCP is saying, well, look, if you don't like Smith, just hold your nose and vote for the party. And then there's that 
deeper dive into it, they're saying, look, she's not going to last long. So don't even worry about her in the months, uh, years, even months ahead. I don't know if you've read Gary Mason's <laughs> column in The Globe uh, this morning. Uh, it's just out. Quote, I can't think of a political leader Certainly a Canadian premier as unqualified to hold the position as Ms. Smith. Her musings, both in and out of office, run the gamut from bizarre to nonsensical, from distasteful to dangerous and deeply offensive. It's hard to imagine a political institution that isn't the U.S. Republican Party electing someone so ill-suited to hold the position of leader as the UCP has done with Danielle Smith. It's also hard to imagine, writes Gary Mason, Albertans electing Ms. Smith on May 29th after everything she has said and done in her public life, including during her brief but tumultuous seven months in the premier's office. At some point, Albertans have to say enough. That from Gary Mason. You talk about Rachel Notley's promise for boring government. You know who else would have led a boring government is Travis Taves. And I'm not looking to kick anyone when they're down, but what a missed opportunity. I mean, I have to question, uh, and this is nothing personal, uh, but I think it's a very fair comment. Travis Taves' leadership team, the research team, like the the foot soldiers, where were they? Uh, where were they with with these videos? And and where were they? Were they afraid? Do you think to 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 lob bombs within the party? Like you have to be if you were one of those that was donating to or volunteering for or hoping for Travis Taves to win that UCP leadership. We're talking about at the time, the finance minister of the party. You have to be looking at these videos that the NDP is releasing and going, all we needed would have been one of these yet nothing. What do you make of that now in retrospect? Yeah. Well, a couple of things, of course, maybe they didn't know about it. Didn't do the research or you're right. Maybe they thought that could actually damage the entire party. Uh, if she was to defeat Travis Taves. And Ta Travis Taves really is a believer in the conservative movement. So um, so I think, yeah, that's one reason why he stuck around. You could tell he didn't want to be around under Danielle Smith. And so, of course, he has departed politics. I wonder, you know, what his plans are after the election, if, in fact, uh, Smith either loses or is forced out. Another thing about Travis Taves is that, you know, if the party had chosen Travis Taves as a leader, they wouldn't be in this predicament right now. I would argue that they would actually be on the way to the 50, 55 seat uh, majority government because Taves, um, you're right, uh, is a competent, uh, you could say boring person. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. People like, you know, competent uh, governments. They'd much prefer a competent, boring leader than, a, uh, than an incompetent, uh, you know, uh, leader who has charisma. So I think that, Travis Taves would have brought the UCP to another electoral vic victory. Um, yeah, the thing is, right now, I wonder what his plans are looking at what's actually happening. I've heard through a, a intermediary, if I can call it that, who had talked to Taves, and Taves is still thinking enough conservatives in Calgary will hold her nose and vote for Smith to give her a victory. The problem is that victory is not going to be, I think, large enough to um, keep her in office. 
Well, uh, I mean, with, that may uh, be party. That may be best case scenario for the conservatives. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it, but but it's a, it's a, I mean, you're really trying to sort of like what was that 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 Doug Flutie moment? You know, the, the the sort of the Heisman Trophy winning college football player that hail mary pass. You're trying to like you're trying to win the election, but not win it by too much, <laughs> so you can attack your own leader from within and replace her with somebody who you think then can be the. The steady Eddie, uh, you know, uh, for the rest of I, I don't know, man. Uh, Graham, can, can I keep you for a few more minutes? I want to, I want to talk to you about Rachel Notley. I want to get you a sure. couple of. Can I keep you for a few more? We're talking to Graham Thompson, yeah. who obviously does a great job uh, covering Alberta politics. I see a comment here uh, in our live chat, our YouTube live chat. It's totally cool. People want to take swipes at me. I love it. it. We're fair game. I'm putting myself out there. Don, good morning, Don, and thanks for tuning in. Says what arrogance, Jesperson. You know, describing progressives as smart and conservatives as dumb. That's not at all what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying right now and what Graham Thompson's saying, although he doesn't need me putting words in his mouth, is that right now, if you're talking about this conservative party splitting, when you're talking about the so-called progressives leaving, these are going to be the people that are going to say, yeah, we don't prefer uh, we don't prefer, you know, people that got vaccinated being referred to as followers of Hitler, Don. That's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about people that believe that public health measures were necessary during the pandemic. That's what we're talking about. I'm not calling conservatives dumb. I would vote for a progressive conservative party if it was progressive and conservative. The fact of the matter is it's not. And that's a fact. I mean, that's not my opinion. That's a fact. And I would love for anybody to take me to task on that, Don. Send me an email anytime. I'll be happy to read it on the show. If it makes sense. Back with Graham Thompson in just a second. With all this talk about Danielle Smith, I mean, are we doing, uh, I mean, is, is this unjust? I mean, are we doing a disservice to Alberta voters by not even talking about Rachel Notley? That's coming up in a second. Right now, I want to put Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business on your radar. If you have dreams to build the next innovative product or solve a world problem, maybe you want to lead change or grow community or transform business, then Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business is your answer. They're one of Canada's leading polytechnic business educators. They can help you harness your inner talent, build your skills, feed your curiosity. They have ideas. So do you. Well, they have experts, right? You've got drive. Guess they've got direction. Yeah, you have purpose. They can apply it. You have vision. They have the roadmap. Get down to business today with Nate's J.R. Shaw School of Business at nate.ca slash business. Hey, a big shout out to our Real Talk Patreon supporters. If you check your email, you've got a promo code tonight. Tickets, free tickets for you and a guest to go check out only in theaters. That's screening at Northwest Fest. It's Canada's longest running nonfiction film festival. More than two dozen amazing documentaries and film projects. Some of them straight from the big festivals. We're talking about South by Southwest. We're talking about other Sundance. Yeah, that's right. These are the films everybody's buzzing about, including, coming up later this week, Imagining the Indian. Imagining the Indian is a timely documentary examining the movement to eradicate offensive Native American mascots. Uh, using archival footage and interviews, the film highlights the impact to indigenous peoples and marginalized groups. Also a lot of buzz around the Lebanese Burger Mafia. Filmmaker Omar Mualim will be with me in the Real Talk studio coming up on Friday's show to talk about that. You won't want to miss it. You can check out Showtimes and get your tickets today at Northwest Fest. And if you're looking for work, 
and you're big on green energy, if you'd like to see this country move forward as quickly as possible with sustainable energy goals, well, we've got good news for you. Kubi Energy is hiring. Yeah, that's right. They're heading into their busiest season and it's all hands on deck. That means that if you're an apprentice or a journey person in Edmonton or Calgary or BC for that matter, you can check out their website today to learn more about other open positions. That's kubienergy.ca. Very cool. Kubi's partnering with Women Building Futures, uh, allowing women to explore different aspects and areas of the trade so that they can specialize and obtain hands-on experience and knowledge. You'll find all the details at kubienergy.ca. Graham Thompson hanging out with us. Uh, Graham, just for, for a couple more moments. I mean, I, you know, I, I lament this fact. We got to talk about Take Back Alberta because they're they're asserting influence on the premier's office, and people are concerned about that. It's a relevant detail. Obviously, uh, the official opposition, or at this point, let's call them the NDP, through the campaign period, putting out these videos uh, about Danielle Smith. Danielle Smith, in her own words, that that demand. Uh, so, some investigation that demand some conversation, but we're not even talking about the platforms. We're not even talking about the alternative to the United Conservatives that is the NDP. I mean, to a certain degree, how do you reconcile that? Do you know what you understand what I'm wrestling with, what I'm grappling with? The, the fact that, that really, I mean, nobody's even digging into the NDP platform right now because there's so much conversation and controversy around the Conservatives. In some ways, you can say that's true. There's different facets involved in this. One is that there's so few reporters left. There's so little, so few resources in newsrooms. You know, I've been covering uh, 10 campaigns up until now in Alberta. And back in the day, you had, I'd say, three or four times more reporters uh, covering the election. You had people actually on a campaign bus. Uh, you had reporters leapfrogging to various um, stops where the uh, leaders of the various major parties would be holding news conferences. You had people digging into policies for both parties or you know the parties and the, the leading parties um, back in the day. That's not happening anymore. You have so few reporters actually having to scramble around covering both. Sometimes both party leaders are digging into uh, trying to dig into policies. So there's that. There's just the resources aren't there like they used to be. There's also the um, the tendency of media, especially stressed up media, looking at low hanging fruit to deal with. And Smith is all about low hanging fruit when it comes to the controversies that dock her. And most of the controversies are created by her, her own words. So reporters will go after that. You've got um, uh, national network and news agencies, you know, with uh, outlets across the country, really looking at. Um, don't really want to hear about Notley so much. We don't want to hear what's happening, but. Danielle Smith. So there's that uh, pressure to uh, promote uh, or at least do stories on Danielle Smith. And no one's really digging into uh, the platforms very deeply. Yes, reporters are, look, reporters are doing their best. And the thing is, yes, they are looking at Notley. They are looking at um, what's actually happening. So someone says optics. Now, we tend to click on stories about Smith because, look, they're usually more interesting than they are about Notley. Again, Notley is deliberately trying to present herself as being kind of a boring, competent um, leader of a boring, competent uh, government with no drama. There's also the issue that, um, like you, know, you and I are talking about Smith right now. It can be very black and white. Uh, policies can get, uh, I'm sorry, we can get boring, whereas media tends to gravitate towards the interesting, especially if they're crushed for time and resources. So, and the thing is, even today, because an NDP is, you could say, is doing this deliberately, yeah, um, like today, There'll be a news conference today with some um, senior um, candidates for the UCP about policy. 
the NDP is having a news conference today to reveal more comments from Smith, uh, her past comments uh, about uh, health care in this case. So, yeah, so the NDP is very happy to shine a spotlight on Smith and the media is very happy to, to grab onto that. And it's not a conspiracy against Smith, as her followers might think. It's a matter of resources and a matter of uh, Smith tends to suck all the oxygen out of a room, both based on her current comments and past comments. Uh, the thing is, you know, during an election campaign, leaders love to get media attention. Um, you know, it's the old expression uh, that uh, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about and they want to be talked about. Well, Smith is being talked about for all the wrong reasons in many respects. So there's that tendency of the media to look for interesting things. That doesn't mean to say the media is not uh, covering Notley. They are, but they can get easily distracted because of all the controversies around Smith. I talked to Charles Adler about this on Monday. You know, Daniel Smith's apology for, for the, you know, the, the comparison of the, you know, the vaccinated population to supporters of Adolf Hitler, you know, describing COVID measures as diabolical. And she said, listen, everybody knows that I was against lockdown measures. Uh, so that's no secret. Uh, she basically went on to say, uh, you know, but I shouldn't, you know, nothing should be compared to the Holocaust. I shouldn't compare anything to the Holocaust. I saw the NDP actually yesterday tweeting out a, uh, a clip from Daniel Smith's interview with me right here on Real Talk, uh, shortly after she walked away from her gig at Chorus Radio, where she said just as much, you know, no one but real Nazis should be called Nazis. But at the end of her apology, Graham, earlier this week, she basically said, I'm paraphrasing, I'd like to apologize for anything offensive that I may have said in my previous career. I'd like to move forward and focus on the things that matter now to Albertans. Does the public buy something like that? Because part of me is wondering, what else does the NDP have? Yeah. Right. We asked Cheryl Oates about that last week when she was on with Erica Brutis and she kind of chuckled. He said, what else are you holding uh, on Daniel Smith and these other candidates? If these are the bombs that they're deploying now, just wait until a week before the election. Just wait till two days before the election. Will it fly saying, listen, I was a talk radio host. I was paid to be controversial. I was paid to be a provocateur. But now I recognize that leadership in the political context looks different and I can do it. Will people believe it? Yeah, and you mentioned that apology. You also said on this issue, she was talking about you know, this comparison, using the comparison between Alberta and Nazi Germany. She said, if I made any comments, you know, all on any comments I made on this issue in the past. So you've got to wonder how often has she said something like this? that could come up uh, publicly. So it's a blanket statement. And yeah, right, she has said in the, in the past, and not you know, as leader of the UCP, uh, the election campaign for the leadership, and then uh, in early uh, days as Premier saying, look, ignore what I said. You know, there was all clickbait bait when I was a radio show host, so ignore all of that. And the thing is, though, it's difficult to ignore when she said these kind of things after becoming Premier again. Uh, talking about the uh, people who had faced the most discrimination in her lifetime in Alberta were those who were willfully unvaccinated. And she promised to change the Human Rights uh, Act to protect that, those people. Um, that telephone call with uh, Arthur Pulowski, uh, of course, you know, he was found guilty. This is before he was found guilty. He had been charged at that point with uh, criminal charges involving the Coots Border Blockade. And she had a very sympathetic uh, talk with him. And she's given various explanations as to why a premier of the province would be talking to somebody about their criminal charges. Uh, so these things, they're not just 
something she said back in the day's radio show host. This is a, a, a thread that's um, inside her head uh, about the pandemic and the responses. And of course, as Premier, um, she fired the Board of the Alberta Health Services because of, of their pandemic uh, restrictions. She And of course, um, Dina Hinshaw, Chief Medical Officer, was also uh, let go, uh, subsequently fi- hired by the BC government mm-hmm. as a way of sort of uh, poking back at Danielle Smith. So I think that it, you just can't say this happened in the past. It doesn't affect her now. It certainly has affected her. And she said these controversial things after becoming premier that sort of reflect a mindset that may not have changed as much as she claims it has. Yeah, it's a tough look, too, by the way, uh, her attending David Parker, Take Back Alberta's founder, attending his wedding in March. That's a tough look as well. Uh, you can follow Graham Thompson on Twitter at G Thompson Inc. and read everything that he writes. We strongly recommend it, including his feature in The Star. Right now, you can read it at thestar.com. Our knives already out for Danielle Smith inside her party. G, it's always great to see you, my man. Thanks for the insight and thanks for your time. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Graham Thompson, killing it. Uh, in just a second, we're going to talk to the president of the Council of Canadian Innovators. We're going to find out what Alberta's tech sector is looking for this election. Let's get into some policy. Let's get into some initiatives. Let's get into some of that talk about jobs and the economy and diversification and all the stuff people get excited about. But first, let's talk about going to the mountains yeah, every Wednesday we have a chance to visit Jasper, at least in our minds. And we know some of you are prompted by this very feature to actually physically head out to Jasper National Park. It's My Jasper Memories, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And of course, timely news right now. We want to let you know that in spite of the wildfires, a very serious situations, of course, across the province, Jasper right now is open for business and safe to visit. Now, thanks to the tireless work of firefighters across Yellowhead County, uh, Jasper's power supply is stable, the shelves are stocked, and the skies are clear. Now, of course, wildfire situations are dynamic. For the latest updates, you can follow 511 Alberta as well as the municipality of Jasper. Now, it is a great time of year to be out in the mountains. And if you're thinking of heading out there, we want to put a couple of things on your radar. It's time to make your plans for spring, especially with the May long weekend coming up. So a great time to plan those adventures, which can include a lot of the Jasper activities and the cabins that are opening for the summer season this month. The Whistler's Campground has officially opened, which is exciting. I know for a lot of people, A lot of the other campgrounds are going to be opening in mid-May, and then a bunch of the cabin properties and those summer-only accommodations, the ones that close for the winter, while they're opening up again for May-long weekend. So now's a great time to look into them. There's rafting. There's those motorcycle tours we told you about a couple of weeks ago. Of course, wildlife sightseeing, they're all coming out now. Tourism Jasper has a great shot of some beautiful black bears on their Twitter this morning. Golfing is now good to go at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. That course is open. That Stanley Thompson course, that iconic course, consistently voted Canada's number one resort golf course. And of course, those flights on the Jasper Sky Tram are also a wonderful way to enjoy spring out in Jasper National Park. You can get planning today 
at jasper.travel. A great resource for, of course, not just places to stay, but also things to do, including some of the fabulous culinary spots as well out in Jasper. When you're out there enjoying your favorite restaurants or your favorite activities, if you're posting on Instagram or Twitter, we'd love for you to hashtag MyJasper and RealTalkRJ so we can show off your Jasper memories right here on the show. Let's get into details. The election is less than three weeks away. How much do we understand about what the parties are promising for different sectors, including the tech sector? Of course, it employs thousands and thousands of Albertans and provides promise for so many more who are looking ahead to where careers and the economy is going. Benjamin Bergen is the president of the Council of Canadian Innovators. This is a national nonpartisan business council for the 21st century. It's led by more than 150 CEOs of the country's fastest growing homegrown tech scale ups. Ben, thanks so much for making time for us today and welcome to Real Talk. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. We're talking to Graham Thompson, political analyst, and it's all this talk around controversy and, and comments on podcasts and positions on vaccines, and it seems like there's not a lot of talk around platforms and policies and initiatives to not just keep people working, but of course, infuse investment into sectors like the tech sector. We're grateful you've made some time for us today to help steer the conversation in that direction. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I think it's, uh, you know, one of those moments where you kind of feel like, can it just go back to being, you know, the economy stupid, right, yeah. as the as the actual central issue of figuring out, you know, how are Albertans really going to make sure that they're in a prosperity game and really having their quality of life getting better, rather than I think a lot of the, the discourse that's kind of circulating around right now. So keen to kind of get into kind of our perspective as an association but also kind of talk high level about how to create wealth and prosperity in an innovation economy. Um, so really, really pleased to be here. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk now. 150, more than 150 CEOs are, are making up this Council of Canadian Innovators. So if I ask you for your collective position on something, of course, it may differ. A startup that's got three employees versus a company that employs 300. But generally speaking, around an election time, uh, and again, the answer may differ whether we're talking uh, provincial or federal elections, but during a provincial election, what sorts of things is the tech sector, generally speaking, looking for from leaders? Yeah, so I think, you know, high level, there's kind of four things that we kind of oscillate on um, that matter in an innovation economy. And maybe just to take kind of a step back, um, there's often this desire to kind of pit, uh, you know, old industry and new industry against each other in kind of a narrative or a discourse, especially uh, in Alberta. And what I would say is that we're actually in an innovation economy where all companies have to innovate. They all use things like IP and data uh, to, to, to create and generate uh, profit and rent. And one of the interesting things about Alberta is it actually has some of the highest filings of intellectual property in the country because of the oil and gas industry. So the oil and gas industry is an innovative uh, uh, sector of the economy. And so to dis disassociate them from each other is a bit of an issue and a bit of a challenge. So that's kind of one of the first things that I kind of want to get off the table. So if you're talking about a company like Suncor or Enbridge, they're actually filing a tremendous amount of patents. They use data um, and really are uh, innovative. So what I would say is having a government that understands a holistic approach to the economy and this new way of thinking around innovation and what drives wealth and prosperity will be critical. 
And the buckets that we look at are access to capital. So those are things like how do companies actually get the money that they need to grow and create uh, opportunity? We look really at access to talent. Um, so, uh, you know, are we training the right people out of you know, places like U of A or U of C? Are you uh, actually having immigration policies and tools that are allowing highly skilled workers to come here? The Alberta Calling uh, Initiative is an interesting one, right? It, it's looking at how do you actually bring people to grow the province and grow the specific sector? Unemployment in tech is zero, right? So um, when you're talking about bringing, let's say, a, you know, a branch plant like an Amazon to Calgary, that actually is only just going to take away talent from local companies. It's not actually going to generate new jobs. The problem that you've got is you don't actually have enough laborers in the space. So that's what we look at from kind of a talent component. So what political parties are talking about, you know, different opportunities there. Other two buckets we really look at is really uh, procurement. So how do we get government to buy domestic innovation and technology? And that's not just something like a SaaS product to pay, you know, employees. That's even looking at the healthcare system. So one of the announcements we saw last week by the New Democrats was looking at how do you take innovation that's being created in the province through whether it be academic institutions or from other entrepreneurs and actually get it into the hospitals, right? That's really hard. Um, but the, the great thing is if you're able to achieve some of those objectives is you get kind of a knockoff effect, right? Not only do you get better health outcomes, but you also get economic growth from the companies that you're helping to create. And then they can go sell that technology to other hospitals, other jurisdictions. And then the last bucket, and this is kind of the thing that makes innovation tech unique different, is what we really call freedom to operate. Uh, and it sounds kind of ephemeral, it sounds like it's disappearing, but what it essentially means is what is the frameworks that allow you to compete not only in the province, but also globally. So those will be things like intellectual property, standards and regulations, international trade agreements, which obviously applies less to Alberta um, and, and more federally, but all of the tools that you use from a regulatory perspective to protect and to strengthen your domestic companies. and. Alberta has done this in the past, and they've actually done it in, a, in, in probably, I would say, the most significant way in Canadian history. And that was really with AOSTRA. Um, that was a government-led initiative that was about unlocking the oil sands and really creating and establishing wealth and prosperity for the province for the future. And we kind of need to do that again. we got to figure out what are the big um, you know, uh, dice that are going to be rolled to try and figure out how we can support uh, the economy and and really help unlock the wealth that, that exists within the province. How would you kind of a two part question here, I guess, Ben, number one, how is when, when you're talking about things like attracting investment, you're talking about immigration policies, obviously a big part of that's going to be federal. But but then there's also, uh, of course, provincial initiatives and incentives and movement within Canada. Uh, all the other buckets you talked about, how is Alberta doing right now in your assessment and is there a jurisdiction, province, territory, or, or or otherwise that really is nailing it? Yeah. So I think on the on the branding component, Alberta's doing a good job. You guys are really trying to drive that. You know, Alberta is calling kind of component from attracting talent. Um, and um, one of the things that we've recommended is each province is given um, uh, what are called uh, PNP or provincial nominee spots, where they can basically allocate. Um, a number of their um, immigrants that they want to come to the province. And, and a place like uh, British Columbia, as an example, has actually taken some of its PNP spots and dedicated it specifically for highly skilled tech workers. So those could be software engineers, those could be uh, certain sales folks within tech. 
individuals that have, let's say, a, a real opportunity to help a company go from, you know, 1 million to 10 million uh, to, you know, to 100 million to a billion. Um, and that's been a really successful tool. So I'd say, you know, um, uh, and we'd had conversations with, you know, Minister Jean at the time saying, look, this is an area you guys should really look at in terms of trying to use it as a lever to, to, to bring workers. The, the funny thing, though, and this is a bit this is a bit in the weeds, so I don't want to I don't want to fall too down this rabbit hole with you. But currently in Alberta, you actually have a regulator, um, a PEGA, that is currently uh, suing a domestic technology company for using the term software engineer, even though that term, even though that uh, individual doesn't have a, a PNG. And, and this sounds like nomenclature. It sounds benign. But in essence, what's happened is the term software engineer is now universal. It doesn't mean that you actually have an engineering degree. And that that term is used in San Francisco. It's used in London. It's the same term uh, that all those folks want to be called uh, called by. And what's in essence happened is that technology companies in the province can't use uh, or advertise the word software engineer. Um, and it's resulting in them struggling to find and hire talent in the province. And the other weird thing that it's doing is because of because of we now do everything through search, right? It's massive algorithms that are generating and moving us places, right? Is that you're not even getting the attention. So um, one of the things that I think this government's got to figure out uh, when they when they come back, whoever it may be, um, really has to look at okay, how do we remove this this sort of unusual barrier that is only applying in Alberta with a, a, a zealot regulator um, really creating red tape around an innovation sector um, and making it hard. Um, and not only is are they not allowing them to use the term, they're actually suing domestic companies. So uh, as an example, there's a lawsuit right now with, with Jobber, uh, Edmonton's largest technology company. And so what I would say is government's got to work with industry. They got to work with regulators. Um, creating that friction for a domestic company that's trying to compete globally, it's just stupid. Uh, and it makes it harder for for the province to be successful. Yeah, I've heard about this. Full disclosure, we, we no bullshit here on Real Talk. So full disclosure, I host all of Apega's award shows. I host their golf tournament. <laughs> okay, so people, if people Google me and Apega, there's going to be a lot of ties between me and this well, group. But let me say, this is the Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists of Alberta, and and yeah. they are so proud of their industry and of course they want to engineers are all about trust right like ben i know you know this but let me just reiterate yeah. you got to trust that the building you're walking in or that the bridge you're driving over isn't going to collapse and so engineers of course are are very diligent on protecting their reputation so i guess i can see from their side i'm not speaking for a pega at all <laughs> obviously okay so, but i get it so, so so how do you find your way around this because i get what you're saying too i mean if i'm an alberta tech ceo and i can't go attract the best talents in the country then of course that's gonna that's gonna bug me a, a whole hell of a lot yeah it's not even best talent in the country it's the best talent in the world okay yeah and that's that's what this that's what this game is all about it's about the best and the brightest and the really kind of exciting thing right now in Alberta is you actually have some of the best and brightest companies. You have people doing really cool shit and doing really interesting things that actually can be commercialized worldwide and generate prosperity and wealth for this province uh, in a way that will lead to long-term sustainability in uh, economic growth, which is pretty uh, pretty special. And that doesn't happen just anywhere. And and 
what I would say is by um, hampering those companies' ability to find talent, it's an issue. We put forward some suggestions in terms of how you could change it. Really focus on the PNG component, right? You know, you've got to be a PNG in order to uh, to be an engineer, and that you know I would never dispute. You've got to make sure that you know uh, bridges and roads and all those things remain safe. LRT systems, you know, list goes on. But to say that someone has to have a soft or a, an engineering degree and they're a coder for a um, SaaS-based company or or a you know a um, uh, a fintech uh, is a bit absurd. And by hamstringing those individuals, the only companies that you're actually impacting are domestic companies. They're not foreign, right? So like you know, what's the technology that you use to put this podcast on or that you use to you know for for payments, right? If it's coming from let's say the U.S. The technology that's being imported into the country is or the province is not being determined by whether or not it's a software engineer or a software developer that's creating it and whether or not they have an engineering degree. So the only actual burden and red tape that's being put on on companies is not external, it's internal. So you're actually kneecapping your own tech industry. Mm. Um, you're not actually making people safer. You're not actually regulating you're just regulating the nomenclature of the term. Let me read you some of the comments from our live tuning audience. This is the most yeah. engaged audience in Canada. I love these guys. Um, you know, MS2020 says, I can see why APEG is doing that. Uh, Tracy says, APEG is trying to maintain standards of practice and their members are paying high fees for membership. Uh, Tony says, I get APEG's concerns when I received my Microsoft MSCE certification. Microsoft had to change the engineer to expert. Tony says, I don't see an issue with it. I'm no engineer. Graham says, is the College of Physicians going to have domain over the term doctor if you receive a PhD? Right? He says the, the college has to protect the integrity of the profession and titles are relative. So, I mean, interesting points here. I, I guess yeah. I, I, hate to, I hate to be the person that says I can see both sides of this but you know, be, because I like to pick a lane. But, but on this yeah. one, I guess I can see both. Um, no, look, I mean, I think the, the, the piece is that a solution's got to come through, right? The, the terminology has jumped, has jumped the, the, the starting line, right? For yeah. 40 years, the term software engineer is being universally accepted. And what I would say specifically about um, Alberta is that you're actually in a good spot where you've got companies that are successful enough that they actually need to bring in talent and they actually need to be recruiting globally. Like you're actually in a good spot. And, and if you weren't in a good spot, then this wouldn't really matter. And I wouldn't have to talk about it. Sure. But because of the way that we're now looking for jobs and the way that these really smart and often young people look at jobs is they want to do a two-year stint, a three-year stint at a company. They want to quickly, you know, uh, learn as many skills and, and develop as quickly as they can but they wanna be able to be called software engineers because that's how they're gonna get their next job. That's how they're gonna move on to that next step. And if, first of all, they can't even find the job because it's under a different term, uh, because you're having to uh, finagle a PEGA's regulatory framework, then you're gonna lose out on a whole bunch of your candidates. And we've done studies to show that about, um, a, a job that gets posted gets about 50% less applicants. And that's not even looking at the quality of the applicant. And we're hearing that that's an issue as well, right? Like if I'm, if I'm a 22 year old hotshot that can, you know, code and do amazing stuff, I'm going to go one where I can get the salary two where I can get the title and three, a place I find interesting. And I think, I think Calgary and Edmonton has, you know, two of the three, but it's the title now that's the issue, right? You move to Calgary. It's an exciting, interesting city. You move to Edmonton. There's lots going on. It's great culture. And so what I'm saying is by, by hitting this roadblock with a 
a, a regulatory, you know, name, it just seems stupid. And the, every other jurisdiction has figured this out. It's just, mm. I, I would say, kind of the entrenchment of um, a regulator that doesn't really want to kind of shake things up. So I don't want to make this the, the you know, the Apega uh, story, because I think there's lots of other really interesting things we could talk about. Totally. But, 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 but this is one of those things where uh, there's red tape, it's a roadblock, but it has real consequences. It's easy to fix. And even better than that, it'll cost almost nothing. Uh, can I also say, Ben, though, that people listen to and watch this show to get the inside scoop on stories exactly okay. like this. So I'm really glad we're talking about it. Uh, let me ask you a question. And this isn't necessarily just for Alberta. This is kind of bigger picture. Obviously, um, you know, during the pandemic, it's we're, we're far enough out now. I'm not declaring it over. But even the World Health Organization said that it's no longer a global emergency. So we can start these looks back and, yeah. and it's okay it's it feels a little less tacky not taking away from people that lost their lives people that lost their businesses obviously do respect there uh, but like the pandemic was really good for some companies and a lot of those companies were tech companies uh, but more recently the the collapse of the silicon valley bank i know has brought a bit of a chill uh, across the industry as a whole, what are Canadian companies noticing or what are you seeing from your members? Yeah, no, that's a, look, that's a great question. And look, the, the pandemic definitely sped up digitization, right? It definitely moved us faster, you know, even doing stuff like this, right? It mm -hmm. made it more possible. And um, that happened uh, in such a, a quick and transformative way that a lot, of course, a lot of tech companies really benefited. Zoom, you know, what we're using right now as an example. Um, and so I think when we think about where we are going in the future uh, and how we need to look at um, the state of the economy and how things like SVB play out is it, it, that really is around a, a capital restriction, right? So we've seen interest rates go up, um, which has made cheap money uh, no longer cheap. It's not expensive. And so having just, you know, I would say kind of uh, a couple of ideas and being able to go out and raise a ton of money, those days are gone, right? And where we're seeing some challenges is for startups and for scale-ups to raise money because there's kind of question marks in terms of what's happening in the ecosystem and, you know, what are the right bets and is, uh, you know, AI going to disrupt traditional SaaS companies and how, how all this kind of play out. So what you're seeing is a bit of, um, I would say, kind of question marks on some of the business models of companies and whether or not they'll be successful. Where we do see continued uh, support and investment is in what I would call, um, you know, some deep tech areas. So things like semiconductors, right? And that that has to do with the kind of geopolitics that's happening around, um, you know, Taiwan and concerns about um, uh, a conflict there, which will need need to lead to like nearshoring and bringing back semiconductors industry to to North America. So that area is still kind of hot and sexy. Um, how we've seen Silicon Valley Bank play out in Canada has been a bit different. Uh, there weren't very many firms that were actually impacted by SVB. They were. I think had about $300 million deployed in the, in the country. So, so relatively small, but they were a signal, right? They were folks that were willing to take risk and do, you know, do interesting things. So that retraction in capital was an issue, but I think the long-term effect will actually be a bit of a tail where people will have questions about the ecosystem. And I think, I think that's, you know, definitely from an institutional perspective, there's, there's, there's some challenges, 
But I even think about, you know, angel investors, you know, family and friends, you know, will you give $10,000 to your friend, you know, who's wanting to start a tech company? Um, You know, you may may be pausing and and being a little bit more restrictive. So I view it as just sort of a slowing of money flowing, and I view it as uh, a bit of a tightening. And some areas will do do well uh, because of the the, uh, geopolitics and and the circumstances we find ourselves in, and others I think will really, really suffer. And, you know, I think the uh, you know the apps that get you food at two a.m. in the morning, right? Like I think I think that is is going to be on pause for a little bit. Mm. Man, I just think of the person. It was just it was they were stoned at three in the morning and they came up <laughs> with the idea that turned into skip the dishes and now they're worth fifteen billion dollars. I mean, I'm making these numbers up, but yeah. like, it's no, all no, this no. stuff Look. like Facebook. All these inventions are so obvious. Ah. Oh. Just, we've left billions on the table as plebs. What's, what's, do what's your big idea, Ryan? Ideas. What what's uh, my big what, idea has already been what? built out, and uh, I had this idea many years ago. I was paying attention to people's Christmas light installations, and okay. um, and I would notice that every time people would put up these beautiful installations, and you know what? Like if if you pay attention to detail, you're in tech, so you probably do. I always appreciated like the clean, tight install, right? Not these droopy. Yeah. There's the people that just like throw the lights up; they look terrible. My biggest pet peeve is people that have the warm white lights right next to the cool white lights. They clash like I just so I'm I'm nerdy about that kind of stuff. But regardless of how beautiful the install was, people always had these really ugly orange extension cords plugging in the lights. And I thought, what if you could candy cane stripe? extension cords i just thought that that would be like a multi-million dollar idea i would talk about it every time i had a conversation like this it was always my million dollar idea and then about five christmases ago my sister-in-law tammy presented me with you got it a candy cane striped extension cord somebody beat me to it because i sat on my hands and they're no doubt living in the bahamas right now so yeah. yeah yeah what was or yours or what is maybe, yours maybe in jasper uh that's yeah. a, that's a pretty good yeah, spot that, yeah that's not a bad idea what's what <laughs> you you probably do have a multi-million dollar idea and you're probably doing it right now what is it so look the the work that i do is really about trying to build a better canadian tech ecosystem for domestic companies and that's where i spend kind of all my my energy you know there's there's maybe a few things i think about now and again on, on kind of the side of my desk but why the work that I do with the council and really with the CEOs that have decided to link arms to say, hey, we need to build a better tech ecosystem is because this is actually where wealth and prosperity are going to come from in the future, right? Um, if you look at something like the S&P 500, in the 70s, only 17% of it uh, was IP-based companies. So companies that were generating profit from, from intellectual property. As we fast forward, and even to, to, to your point, Ryan, about uh, the transformation into technology over COVID, that number has grown to over 90% of the S&P 500's valuation coming from IP-rich companies. So IP-rich companies is really where the future is going from a wealth perspective. Canada's really been struggling. We've actually fallen backwards in a lot of innovation indexes, and this has been going on for 30 years. So we can blame a little, little of the blue government, a little of the red government, but ultimately, it's been Canada really struggling to figure out how to build an innovation economy that really champions domestic companies. And this has real consequences. Um, we're already kind of seeing it bear out, right? Canadians are now 25% less wealthy than Americans. We're now 22% less wealthy than Denmark. So we can't just blame it on size. We can't just blame it on scale. And the project that really we're working on at the council is how do you build a prosperity strategy that helps all of us 
remain in a space where we're, uh, you know, a first world developed nation, uh, because the landscape has shifted. And the reason why this election in Alberta matters is because that the government will have a lot of power and agency over the decision making that, that, that occurs in kind of the areas that I talked about. So for me, I think us figuring out that project and how we can work to help companies be successful is really kind of where I hang my hat and, and candidly spend all, all, all kind of my energy. And, it, and it's exciting and it's interesting. And you work with really smart people, both from a from a political perspective, from a bureaucracy perspective, but also from from companies and from CEOs. We'll let people know they can check out CanadianInnovators.org if they want to learn more about the organization. Uh, you can browse the directory of CEOs. Is that is that you standing next to Jim Balsilli? Is that who that is? Yeah, Jim's Jim is the chair of my organization. Wow, I just saw there's a there, there's a new movie coming out, right? Blackberry about he's a big part of that story, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we actually had a screening last week um, with uh, with Jim, and look, it's it's a it's a you know fictional story off of kind of the larger narrative, right. and it's it's entertaining. It is funny, um, but it's not really what happened. Um, but it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely, a, it's a good time for sure. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple of friends that like still would use blackberries if they were given yeah. the opportunity. So let, let me bring this conversation full circle. And, and I recognize that, that it says it right in your bio in the very first sentence, you and your team want to reiterate to this audience that the council of Canadian innovators is a nonpartisan business council, but you are here to talk about the provincial election. So let me ask you this. I'll ask the question as fairly as possible. I'm not asking you to endorse a certain party or a leader. But give us an observation about the United Conservative platform or an implication of a United Conservative government and a new Democrat platform and the implications of an NDP government. Why don't we start with the UCP? Yeah, so with UCP, there hasn't been much that they've announced so far on uh, some of the deeper innovation pieces. It's it's still kind of in works. However, we've had really great engagement with folks like Minister Glubish uh, and other individuals in, within the government. And what I would say is they're receptive to some of the some of the broader ideas and the work that the government was doing on things like an IP and a data strategy. So they very much um, have communicated their time in government uh, that that they're committed to working with with the ecosystem. And so I think that's positive. Uh, are they all the way there on all of the ideas of the Council of Canadian Innovators? No, but uh, neither party are. So we'll hopefully get them there uh, in time if, if they do end up forming government. So um, on on the UCP, um, there, there's places where we can definitely work and collaborate. Are they more interested in, in uh, some of the um, ideas that are, are kind of more free market and a bit more uh, about you know expansion and economic uh, opportunity? Yeah, that's kind of more the, more their wheelhouse. On the New Democrats, you know, we've seen some interesting um, pieces in their platform that they pulled out around um, helping embed and move tech uh, and research into commercialization by using the, the, the levers of government in something like procurement. So I kind of mentioned that healthcare uh, example. There was an announcement that uh, Rachel Notley uh, announced last week. It's $30 million. It's allocated specifically for uh, helping to uh, bring technology that's being uh, created in the province into your hospital system. And that's huge, right? That, as I mentioned, better health outcomes, but also economic opportunity. So I think when folks go you know, to the polls, they got to think about uh, the economy and they've got to think about you know, which sort of section we're in. So over the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to hear more about uh, what those specific platforms look like and how they're going to impact um, uh, the innovation economy and ultimately what we just call the economy. 
Yeah, what we just call the economy. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, Benjamin Bergen, the president of the Council of Canadian Innovators. I appreciate your candor uh, and your expertise today. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks so much. Yeah, you got it. Again, you can find them online at CanadianInnovators.org. Have you heard that before, that Canadians are 25% less wealthy than Americans? No, I kind of <laughs> was like, what? That was the first really? time I've heard that. 22% less wealthy than, yeah. what was it, the Danish or the Dutch? Danes, I think he said. Um, I wonder what that means. Is that like, I should have asked him, average average incomes, maybe? I don't know what that means. Or maybe across certain sectors. like a. Well, there's way more people in the States, so I'm sure that number is like, you know, it's but, not. <laughs> but way more people also means proportionally more lower income earners. That's what I mean. More, wouldn't yeah, it be lower? Know, wouldn't, it be the, wouldn't the average be lower if there's like millions more people? But then also America's got the biggest economy in the world. So you've got like people that are making huge dough mm-hmm. and yeah f- fascinating stuff uh appreciate that if there's an angle that you'd like to see covered on this alberta election we want to hear from you to talk at ryanjesperson.com i'm not blowing smoke up your asses when we talk about you and describe you as the most engaged audience in canada you prove it all the time and we really appreciate it i wanted to mention a tweet that i saw johnny first i look over here to this this seat uh, that will be occupied again tomorrow and again on Friday by in-studio guests. And you see there's just this light dusting. There's just a few specks left of tobacco mm-hmm. on the table. Do you see that from <laughs> yeah. Dr. Josie Auger, uh, who was in studio yesterday? Just an unbelievable guest. She's an associate professor at Athabasca University. She was talking to us about her new podcast, about I- indigenous uh, traditions and history and storytelling. And, uh, man, you know, so we get this uh, tweet from Sean McKinley, and it just made my day. I saw it last night. Uh, he said, what a fantastic episode of Real Talk. He says, you know, Charles Adler and Jespo speaking on the remarks from Danielle Smith and her possible intentional hard right push for reinvigorating her political career was good. But, Sean says, the follow up with Dr. Josie Oje was even better. Sean says, I've been waiting for something like this to help better explain to my students the cultural backgrounds of First Peoples in an easily digestible way framed with kindness. It was superb, says Sean McKinley, says Killer Week thus far. Sean, we sure appreciate that, and and we agree with your assessment of Dr. Oje. Just absolutely fantastic. The good news is, is that this killer week will continue. And I've got details on that in just a second. But I do want to remind you all this talk about engineering and professional engineers. You know who's hiring a whole bunch of them right now? It's Apex Automation. If you go to apexautomation.ca, there you got your PNG. In particular, uh, do you have a lot of experience in the fields of engineering, fabrication, automation, What about Industry 4.0? Do you know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about Industry 4.0? I would love for you to take two seconds to read more about opportunities that lie in wait in edge computing, machine learning, data visualization. These are all the areas where Apex Automation is excelling, leading the field. If you want to work somewhere where they put people ahead of profits, somewhere where they truly care about their clients and their own team we recommend you take a minute today to check in with apex automation also a big shout out to our friends at eden landscaping i talked to mike literally just yesterday about their plans coming together for our backyard this is first-hand experience we have in dealing with their team in navigating real life stuff like budgets 
in wrestling over some of the design aesthetics. You know, sometimes you know what you want. Sometimes you got to trust the expert designers. It's all part of the process, and I couldn't be more impressed with how they do it at Eden Landscaping. You can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Make contact. Get the conversation going. Mike's even on Pinterest, Johnny. Checks out people's Pinterest boards. You know, are you on Pinterest? No, I never have been. Yeah, me neither. I don't know too much about Pinterest. Not a dream board guy. He says this is where a lot of people put their landscaping ideas, so they use that as a tool, a digital tool, to create that real-life design, bringing your outdoor space to life. That's Eden Landscaping. If you don't have plans for Mother's Day yet, may we please recommend the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores. Every single one of their Fresh Market stores is going to be hosting an all-you-can-eat Mother's Day brunch featuring your favorite traditional brunch treats. This is May 13th and 14th, so Saturday and Sunday, as well as special desserts created by Friesen Brothers Red Seal chefs. All of it, just 25 bucks a person. That's such great value. Plus, every mom there is going to receive a complimentary flower to make her feel extra special. On Saturday in particular, May 13th, a special demo featuring a 200-pound Emmon Taylor Swiss cheese wheel. They're going to cut it in each of the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores, and there's going to be 50% off that wonderful cheese all weekend long. You can find more details at Friesen.com slash Mother's Day Brunch. If you're looking for something, I don't know, a little more sweet for Ma, and you want to go local, can we recommend the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Give Mom the sweetest gift of all. Mother's Day cakes are back and ready to make Mom's Day. Show the mom in your life how much she means to you with a DQ Mother's Day cake. That's the signature fudge and crunch center. You know what I'm talking about. Surrounded by that world-famous soft serve. Celebrate mom and reflect on sweet memories while creating new traditions. Picking up a cake from the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Also wanted to give a shout out to the authors of some of these trash talks that are coming in. Hey, Monty, we've got your email and you were fast tracked right onto the roster. Typically, we wait till Thursday night, Friday morning to select the ones we're going to go with. Monty, you're one. Trash telling trash talking into the void yeah you know what i'm talking it was a no-brainer you're going to be hearing your email read on friday that's presented by our friends at local environmental services you can find them online at localenvironmental.ca across alberta and saskatchewan they're bringing great service into the communities they serve if you're a decision maker for a big business a small business what about maybe an entire community Local Environmental Services promises no BS. It's one of their corporate values. What does fun with benefits mean? Find out more when you request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Coming up on Thursday's Real Talk, we're going to check in with Canada's Public Safety Minister. Bill Blair's going to join me. I want to ask him about this piece in the National Post calling Canada's safe supply initiatives a failure. Plus, we're going to sit down in studio with Palestinian-Canadian organizer Musa Kaskas on Friday. Do not miss it. Edmonton Mayor Amarjeet Sohi in studio. The group chat roundtable in studio. Filmmaker Omar Mualam in studio. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. 
General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lauren Sterlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.